On the Sermon of the Mount, um, after Jesus mocks the Pharisees for their falseness in their prayers, the disciples ask Jesus how they should pray. And he gives them an outline commonly called the Lord's Prayer, but more accurately called the Disciples' Prayer. And he said, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, Lord, we give you thanks that you are our Father, that you are our loving Father, and that you have adopted us into the family, your family, as sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that you teach us to trust you as a young child does their father. And Father, I thank you that you are in heaven, above us and above your creation, and that one day we will be there with you in our inheritance in Christ. Hallowed be your name. We praise you, Father, for who you are, for your character, for your essence, that you are just, that you are righteous, that you're omniscient, that you're omnipresent, that you're omnipotent. You love us and you're filled with grace. And we praise you, Father, even for your wrath, that you will judge righteously. We praise you, Father, that you are holy. You're separated from this creation of yours. You're separated from sin. And we confess, Father, that Jesus is our Lord that he is worthy of all glory, honor, and power. Your kingdom come. Father, we pray that you will build your church here on earth, that you'll help us to spread the gospel, to tell people the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray that you establish your kingdom in our hearts and let Christ reign there. And we also ask, Father, that you send Jesus back soon to establish his kingdom here on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we acknowledge that history is in your hands. All governments are in your hands. Countries' boundaries have been established by you, and we praise you for that. Your plans will be done, and we thank you for that. I pray that you teach us to learn and know your plans and that you help us to accept them both in this world and in our individual lives. We thank you that our bodies are set aside to be sanctified and that there are passages in the Bible that tell us specifically what your will for us is, that we are to give thanks in all things in the name of Jesus that we are to do right, and that we are to suffer for Christ's sake. Help us to recognize your will and apply it in our lives. Give us this day our daily bread. Father, teach us that we should be seeking your kingdom first, and all these physical needs of food and housing, clothing, and those needs will be supplied by you. Help us to recognize that we have many spiritual needs that we ask you give us. We need to have a greater knowledge of your word, so help us to read regularly. Father, we need wisdom to apply your word in our lives. And Father, we need spiritual understanding of your word and how to apply that wisdom. Father, we need to be more obedient to your word. We need more patience in our lives, both with people and with things. Father, we need to be humble, and we need to have a forgiving nature. Father, we need to preserve the unity of the faith. Father, we need to walk by the Spirit, to live a life worthy of you, of worthy of Christ. And Father, we need to flee from the deeds of the flesh. In fact, our spiritual needs are great, and we ask for those. And in the same way, we pray for the Federated States of Micronesia. They have the same spiritual needs that we have, 
About 95% of the people there claim to be Christians. We pray that you'll be filling them and controlling them with your spirit and that they will be proclaiming the gospel to the rest of the peoples there. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Father, we thank you that you have forgiven us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. I pray that you help us to forgive other people from offenses and that we do not put, put conditions on our forgiveness. Help us not to hold grudges and not to seek vengeance. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, we need discernment to recognize the good and bad, the right and the wrong in this earth. And I thank you, Father, that you have promised to give us a way out of temptation. I pray that you teach us to take that. We thank you, Father, for delivering us from the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, to the kingdom of light where Jesus reigns. I pray that you do teach us to keep, to keep us from sinning. Father, as uh, Ryan comes up now and to, is to present your word to us, I pray that you'll fill him with your spirit, that your words will be in his mouth, that he will teach us, that we will learn to apply it in our lives. Father, we ask these things not for our glory, but for your glory through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I get the privilege of opening God's word and preaching this morning, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. Pastor Jeff and his family are in Colorado and uh, enjoying some time there with, uh, with some of their family. So uh, if you're on Facebook, you've probably seen some, some good pictures and stuff, and uh, you can ask Pastor Jeff if he likes bacon soda when he returns. Sounds pretty gross to me. <laughs> um, actually, though, before we, uh, before we get into the word, um, can we just pray for another second? Because uh, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Don and Margot Reidman were here with us this morning, but, uh, but Don uh, kind of has been having all kinds of blood pressure problems, and he wasn't feeling well, so they had to make their way out. But uh, will you just bow your heads and let's pray for them real quick? Lord, we uh, thank you so much for uh, Don and for Margo, and we just uh, ask that you would be with him right now. Um, hopefully, he's able to just go home and rest, and his uh, blood pressure would be, be able to uh, become regular. And uh, Lord, we know that this has just been a, a real stress for for both of them, uh, especially for Margo, though just seeing her her husband uh, go through all of this. So we ask that, uh, that you would give them peace, that you would give them comfort, that you would help us as a congregation to be faithful, to, to pray for them, to care for them. And we ask that, uh, that you would just watch over them now. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, we are looking at Philippians chapter 4. If you've known me for a while, I can't seem to get away from Philippians, but uh, it's just really good. <laughs> I was uh, considering what to, what to preach about this morning, and I kind of came to the topic of, of prayer, but wanted to look at a, a particular passage that, that speaks to prayer and the place that it should have in our life, and I think Philippians 4 is uh, just a really good place for us to go. And hopefully as we walk through this, we'll, we'll come away with some practical help for our lives and uh, just come away with, with an appreciation of, of who God is and the, the real gift that he has given us in allowing us to, to pray to him. It's commonly ascribed to Benjamin Franklin, the, uh, the saying that there are 
only two certainties in life. Do you know what they are? According to him, <laughs> death and taxes, right? You've probably heard that, um, but I think that's a really, really bad list because there's a lot of other things that, that are certain in this life. And as I was reading through this, this portion from Philippians and just considering it, there, there are so many other things in life that we really can say are certain. Unfortunately, one of those certainties in life is that we will experience at one point or another anxiety. Now, that can be anything from just a, an uneasy feeling that you have. Maybe you have been called into the boss and you get this kind of, you know, butterflies and your mind starts racing and, oh, what's going on? Maybe you have to talk to your parents or a teacher and you feel anxious. <laughs> it can be anything from, from those smaller things all the way up to like actual anxiety attacks where you hyperventilate, you can't breathe, your, your mind and your emotions are just racing so much that, that you're unable to function as you normally would. There's, there's a huge range of anxiety that we experience as people here on this earth. But the one sure thing is that you will experience it. So what do we do? How do we handle it when we come up against a life, life that causes anxiety? Well, this portion of of scripture here gives us the answer. And the answer is simply prayer. A little quick survey here. Go ahead and raise your hands on this one. How many of you pray enough? Nobody? Hmm. All right. Second question in our survey here. How many of you never get anxious about anything in life? Never? <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing nobody would raise their hand. Nobody really did raise their hand, I don't think. But <laughs> these are just common things that, that we kind of experience as, as believers and as human beings here on this earth. We experience anxiety the Bible says to pray, but we, we seem to not pray enough. And so we're going to go into um, some more details about this as we uh, continue on. But I want to be straightforward before I really get into this and, and say that even though I'm talking about prayer as, as the cure to anxiety, this isn't like a one-time take this pill and, and you'll be good for the rest of your life. Uh, this prayer that we're talking about as the, as the answer to life's anxieties is, is more like a habit or a practice that has to be developed as you continue in your life. And it's something that you'll never be done with. It's something that you'll never quite achieve because in this life, there will always be anxious moments, things that make us sweat, and because there will always be those anxious moments, we will always have the need to go to the Lord in prayer. Speaking of which, why don't we pray? Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. I thank you for the guidance that you have given us here in how to handle the, the anxious moments of our lives. Lord, will you help me to speak clearly? Will you help your word to illuminate our hearts and our minds and to help us understand who you are and the help that you have given us and the help that you promise us? Lord, we commit this time to you in your name. Amen. Well, so the main point that I want to try and drive home uh, this morning is that we are to rejoice. <laughs> So the main point says, rejoice as you prayerfully commit the anxieties of your life 
to our ever-present Lord. I'll say that again. Rejoice as you prayerfully commit the anxieties of your life to our ever-present Lord. And I'm going to break this passage up into three main parts. We're going to look at the goal of this passage, which is to rejoice in the Lord. We're going to look at anxiety, the peace and joy killer. And then we're going to look at prayer, the practice that makes this work. So to start out, let's, let's talk about the, the goal of this passage. And I want to start by reading these verses. So if you haven't turned there, turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, what is the the goal of this passage? Well, Paul starts out by just saying it outright in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And if you didn't get it, he says it again. (laughs) Again, I will say rejoice. So the goal here is that we would rejoice. Now, what he means by rejoicing is that uh, he, he sees rejoicing as uh, an inner joy that is expressed. That's what it means to rejoice. It means to have joy inside that comes out somehow. Um, Typically, when we think of rejoicing, we may think of singing or maybe um, even just speaking the praises of God, but rejoicing can also be uh, exemplified through your actions. It can be just an inner peace or an inner dialogue that's going on in your day. Your thoughts are focused on the Lord and, and the joy that he brings, and you are happy for that. You are uh, acknowledging who God is, and joy is coming from that. So that's the goal. The goal is to rejoice. And I think that this goal is is closely related to the last uh, verse in this section that says, uh, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not typically natural for us to rejoice. In fact, I find, and you probably find, that uh, complaining sometimes comes more naturally. Or, as we're going to see here, anxiousness about the circumstances in this life is, is more of a natural response for me than just rejoicing all the time. But the the peace of God that is promised here in verse 7 is something that, that guards our hearts and guards our minds and allows us to be in, in a place where we truly can rejoice for who God is and for what he's doing in our lives. So the goal of this passage is, is fairly simple. Rejoice in the Lord. But is it really that simple? Well, no. <laughs> it's simple to understand, but it's hard to do. Well, why is it hard? That brings us to the, the second part of, of this passage, my second point. Well, it's hard to rejoice because life is full of anxiety. If you look there at uh, verse 6, It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I want to take a second and just focus on on that idea of anxiousness. And Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. It's, It's a command to not be anxious, and yet, it's so natural for us to be anxious. And I think that's why Paul says this in kind of a a command type of way because he recognizes that that this is a problem. 
that we all experience in different ways. We are all anxious. Now, he also uses a couple of pretty uh, all-encompassing words here in verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Anything and everything pretty much covers it all, wouldn't you say? And I think that's the point that he's trying to make here. He has this goal for us to rejoice in the Lord with our lives, but then he comes down to earth and he says, but the reality is, you're going to be tempted to be anxious. And not just in a few things here and there, but anything and everything that you experience in your life has the potential to cause anxiety. The question is, do we run with that or do we combat it? Do we do something about it? To be anxious, I, I already have kind of explained anxiety, but to be anxious means to be troubled or, or burdened with cares, to have stress, to have worry about life circumstances. And the context of this passage implies that, that anxiousness is actually opposed to rejoicing in the Lord. It's something that, that actively works against our rejoicing in the Lord. The other New Testament passage that uh, helps us shed some, some light on this idea of anxiety, well, there's more than just this passage, but uh, one that is probably familiar to many of us is Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew 6, 25 through uh, 33, it says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. In this passage, this is Jesus speaking, and, and he, he expounds a little bit on this anxiousness that life brings. And it, it has to do with simple little things like, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat today? And we see from this that, that we have this ever-present desire, really, to be anxious about the circumstances of life. And that's just the little stuff. But then add in some of the bigger questions of life. What am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do about the sickness that I have? And the anxiousness level can go from, you know, a mild simmer to a roaring boil real quick. Life throws all kinds of circumstances at us, and unfortunately, our tendency is towards anxiety. The really sinister thing about anxiety is that it takes our focus off of God. He's the one who can help. He is the one who can bring relief. He is the one who can give peace in any and every circumstance. And anxiety tends to make us take our focus off of him. And where do we put it? Well, we put it on ourselves. You know, most of my anxious thoughts uh, 
involves something like this. A circumstance comes up, I feel this, this pressure or this anxiety building, and my automatic is to go, all right, Ryan, what are you going to do about it? And I start thinking, oh, I could do this, I could do that, and it's, I tend to just focus on me. How am I going to respond? How am I going to solve this issue, whatever it is? Now, in, in some ways, that's, that's not a bad thing. I mean, we have to consider how we're going to respond to circumstances, but, but the thing that is bad about that is, am I just looking to myself, my own strength, my own wisdom, or am I looking to God and his wisdom, in his word? Am I bringing him into the equation at all? Anxiety comes when we leave him out of the equation because then we're left alone. And that's a bad place to be. That's a place that causes anxiety. If you're responsible for everything and if you are the only thing that you're looking to, anxiety is sure to come. Stress is sure to be there. Worry is sure to be there. The key to ridding ourselves of anxiety is looking elsewhere, (laughs) looking to someone who can actually do something about it. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. You know, what is the true way to rid ourselves of these anxieties that we feel? Well, we gotta look somewhere else. We gotta put our focus on the one who can truly do something. Now, I don't want to give the the wrong impression here. Um, There are some health and wealth type preachers out there who say, you know, if you have any stresses or worries in your life, all you have to do is pray and ask and have enough faith and they'll go away. That's a pretty common thing that you hear in a lot of Christian circles. The only problem is, it's a lie. (laughs) It's not true. It's not true to what the Bible says about how our lives work. You see, that message says, pray to God, turn to God, and he'll make everything disappear magically. Like you won't have to go through that stressful situation. Or the money that you're, you're worried about for paying the rent It'll just appear out of nowhere. And that's not always a guarantee. (laughs) The truth is, is more like, give this over to God, and he will help you through this hard situation. And he'll also help you when the next one comes, (laughs) which will probably be pretty soon after this one. And give that one up to God and pray and yes, have faith and he'll help you through that. And it may be really difficult. But God isn't necessarily about just wiping our lives clean of anything that would cause us anxiety. In fact, in John 16, 33, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. This life isn't about having everything easy. This life isn't about not ever having any cares or worries or anxieties, but this life is about what do you do with those cares and worries and anxieties. Psalm 23, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with, and you know, in that we see God's promise for our lives. And it says, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with me. But notice, where's the psalmist at? He's in the valley of the shadow of death. A really hard place to be. He's experiencing anxiety and and trouble in life, and yet his hope and his peace and his rejoicing comes from the fact 
that God is there with him. He doesn't necessarily keep us away from the valley of the shadow of death, but he brings us through. Now, this whole idea of anxiety, um, I found it really interesting as I went back through the entire book of Philippians, and Philippians is actually filled with opportunities for anxiety. Um, Turn back to Philippians chapter 1. If you look at verses uh, 1, 12 through 14, we find that Paul is in prison. He's most likely chained to uh, a Roman guard while he is writing this book. And I don't know about you, but that would be kind of a stressful, anxiety-producing situation. Paul was in a life situation where, where anxiety was an everyday thing for him. How was he handling it? If you move forward a couple of verses in 1, 15 through 18, uh, we see that Paul talks about other people who, who are preaching the gospel, and in that he rejoices, but they're preaching the gospel out of wrong motives, out of envy, out of rivalry. They're trying to one-up Paul in his ministry. And that is a, a source, or it could be a source, of anxiety for Paul. These guys are out to try and get Paul, to try and uh, drag his name through the mud. Stressful, anxiety-producing situation. (laughs) Ministry anxieties. If you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 20, he basically says, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. (laughs) That's kind of a stressful situation. He doesn't know what tomorrow will bring. He's literally at... (laughs) at the mercy of the Roman emperor. And if you know anything about emperors, they can be kind of fickle. So am I going to wake up and go through the day like normal, or is this the day I die? I don't know. Would anyone experience anxiety in that situation? (laughs) I think I would. Chapter 2, verses 23 through 24 uh, He's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he's talking about his own plans to travel and hopefully see the Philippians. And, you know, this is kind of a a common thing, and it just kind of struck me. Like, he's talking about traveling plans. But if you read it, you see, like, he's saying, well, I hope to come (laughs) to visit you. I hope that this will happen. He has these, these travel situations where travel was not like it is nowadays. It, it was kind of a nerve-wracking thing to get on a boat and go out to sea because who knows? You might get to your destination. You might not. Again, there's a chance for anxiousness, for anxiety in his travels. In 2, 25 through 30, Uh, He talks about the health of Epaphroditus. You know, health is just something that that causes a lot of stress and anxiety in our lives. And we see it here. We see that the the Philippians were concerned with Epaphroditus. They had heard that he had gotten sick, and he was sick. He was close to death. Another chance for anxiety. And here's an interesting one in 2.28. He says, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul was anxious that the Philippians were anxious about Epaphroditus being sick. (laughs) Like anxiousness can be everywhere. You can be anxious about the fact that somebody else is anxious about something. It's just right there at the doorstep. If you keep on going, chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He's talking about becoming more Christ-like. And basically he's saying, look, I haven't, I haven't made it. Even me, the apostle Paul, I'm not perfect. But what do I do? I press on to become more like Christ. So even his own sanctification in a sense, could be an opportunity for anxiety. 
man, I wish I were more patient in these situations. I just got angry again. I shouldn't do that. I've been a Christian for so long. Like we can have anxious thoughts and emotions and feelings about our own sanctification process. Chapter four, verse two through three, we see uh, some of his, his colleagues, his friends who are not getting along together. He says in 4.2, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. They had some sort of conflict going on between them and this was a, an opportunity again for anxiety to rise because of the relational aspect of the ministry and the church that was going on. It's a stressful thing when you know that this person over here in the congregation has something against that person over there in the congregation and they're not doing anything to work it out. It's stressful for you, it's stressful for them, it's an anxiousness causing thing. Later on in chapter four, verse 14 through 18, he talks about his, his need uh, physical need, monetary need that the Philippians were generous to, to help him with. But there again, money, physical needs, all of this stuff is opportunity for anxiety to take over. So what do we do? Because we're in these same types of situations. We have the life anxiety, we have ministry anxiety, we have travel anxiety, we have health anxiety, we have a relational anxiety, sanctification anxiety, money anxiety, material anxiety, it's everywhere. So what do we do? Well, Paul says, don't be anxious. All right, great, thanks, done. Just won't do it, right? Well, wrong. <laughs> No, he, he gives us an answer to this. And the answer is the last part of verse six. He says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the third part, prayer. This is the, the practice that makes the goal possible. It's the practice that makes this thing work. You're going to be faced with anxiety. And anxiety, it kills the peace. It kills the joy in your life. But prayer is the practice that is the answer to anxiety. Now, in here, he, he uses three different words for, for prayer. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That first word there, prayer, is just a, a general word that, that describes prayer, and he's talking about communication with God. You know, and this is a great privilege and honor that we have as believers. We get to communicate with our Heavenly Father. And that can be out loud, We've prayed this morning a couple of times in the service. This can be in your head, in your heart. But the opportunity that we have to communicate with our Father is incredible. It, it really is an honor and a privilege that we have. Supplication. What does that mean? Well, supplication is basically uh, coming before somebody and, and seeking or asking, entreating somebody for something. So prayer is just a, a general term for communication and supplication is more specific, meaning you, you're coming and you are entreating someone for something. And in this case, we're coming before the Lord in prayer and we're saying, I need something. <laughs> please, I, I entreat you, I ask you, I, I beg of you, please, Sometimes our prayer can be pretty rigid, formal, unemotional. When you read the Psalms, do you see that much? 
Not really. The, the Psalms are, are a collection of songs, but they're also prayers. And, and if you read through the Psalms, man, you see the different writers of the Psalms just pouring out their heart and crying out and being real with the circumstances of their lives and even the emotions of, God, it seems like you're not here. <laughs> what is going on? I need your help. I need your presence. And that's the idea of this, this supplication. It's, it's a begging, it's a pleading with God for things. And we are emotional beings. We are meant to turn those emotions back to God in prayer. With thanksgiving, thanksgiving is something that, uh, again, we tend to be bad at. We tend to uh, really like it when things go well, but then we just assume like, oh, I deserve that. <laughs> or, oh, that was nice, and, and we just go on to the next moment when something happens the way that we want it to happen. But that's such a lost opportunity to give thanks to the Lord and to recognize that all good things ultimately come from his hand. Not only is thanksgiving important uh, for us to, to recognize our place in this world, um, but it's important because it really does, again, change the focus of our heart and our thoughts. Because instead of going, well, yeah, I'm a good guy, I deserve that good thing. It changes those thoughts to, hmm, I don't deserve that. I'm, I'm thankful to God that, that this went well, or I'm thankful to God that he's brought me through this hard situation, or I'm thankful for what he's done for us in Christ. And, and the act of giving thanks puts our focus where it ought to be back to the Lord, to the one who we are entreating or, or supp supplicationing? I don't know if that's a word. It is now. Supplicationing. Uh, you know, it, it forces us to realize that God is the one who is good and who is worthy of our thanks and our honor. So, anxiety comes in life. What do we do? Well, we have to pray. That's what Paul says here. And unfortunately, man, my, my automatic is a lot of times not to pray. But, but just to like put my nose to the grindstone and start going. And how dumb is that? Stop and pray, Ryan. Now, it doesn't have to be like a get down on my knees in the middle of the mall and start praying. It could be. Um, but it could just be as I'm going, as I'm going into this situation, going, Lord, man, I'm thankful for being with me. I'm thankful that you are a God who cares. I'm thankful that you tell us in First Peter to cast our cares on you. And I'm doing that, and I'm doing that because, as First Peter says, I realize that you care for me. You want me to do this. This is a pleasure and an opportunity that you give me to cast my cares on you. So thank you for being that type of God who wants to have communion with me, communication with me, that wants to help me. And Lord, help me in this. You know, pray when we face anxiety in our lives. And the result of this is, as verse 7 says, peace. A peace that doesn't make sense. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's a peace that, that guards our hearts and our minds from further anxiety. It may not radically change the, the details of the circumstance that you're in, but it'll radically change the circumstances of your heart. And it will guard you from further anxiety when we respond to those things in prayer. So, you know, going back and just kind of looking over this passage, the, the goal 
of this passage that Paul is trying to convey is he wants us to rejoice in the Lord. And he states it as rejoice in the Lord. It's a command. But thankfully, he, he doesn't stop there. He realizes that there is a human experience that we all have. He realizes that there are anxious moments that come up in everyone's life that make it hard to rejoice. So then he says, well, don't be anxious about anything. Oh, great. Thanks, Paul. Just don't be anxious. Well, no, he doesn't leave it there. He gives us a tool. And that tool to handle those anxious moments of life is prayer. So he entreats us, pray. (laughs) Supplicate, ask. Give thanks. Let your requests be made known to God. He cares for you. He is your father in heaven. And when we do that, he answers with peace and sometimes with pretty amazing help (laughs) where we're recognizing, oh my goodness, like God, you just totally changed the circumstances here. Sometimes it doesn't seem like the circumstances change, but in those cases, we go through it knowing, well, there's a purpose in this (laughs) and knowing that God is there. Hopefully, this is uh, something that, that we can all draw encouragement from. And hopefully, this is something that, that we would practice in our lives. You know, going back and, and looking through all the different circumstances of, of Paul and Philippians, you can see he doesn't explicitly say in each one of those circumstances that he stopped and prayed. But I think he did, which is why he tells us here to pray in all circumstances. And how much better would it be if we responded to anxious times in our lives by praying, by giving things over to God? Do not be anxious is a present active form of of a verb there. It means that we don't stay in anxiousness. When he says be anxious for nothing, he doesn't mean anxiousness isn't going to come, but what he means is don't stay there. Where do you go when anxious times come? Well, the answer here is pray. Go to your father. He cares for you. You know, and I, I, would be, I would be missing an opportunity if I didn't talk about the greatest anxiety in life, which is the problem of sin. We're all sinners, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and because of that, Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And this is not just physical death, but this is like eternal death, and separation from God in hell. If there's anything to be anxious about, that's probably it. But even with that anxiety, what can we do? Well, we can look to God. We can look at the word and see the truth of who he is. We can see the truth of what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He died to take that penalty of sin on himself. He died so that we might live eternally with God in heaven. And when we respond in faith and when we respond in prayer and say, God, I believe we are saved. And we are out from underneath that ultimate anxiety. And that's the the greatest freedom that we can experience in our lives. And if this is something that you haven't done or haven't contemplated, that's where it starts. It starts with being free from the anxiety of sin. And we can only do that through faith in Christ. So to wrap things up, uh, rejoice in the Lord. Well, how do you do that? 
because life is full of anxiety? Well, you do it through prayer, by facing every anxious moment with prayer. And hopefully, if, if we continue or if we start this practice of prayer, we would be able to rejoice as we prayerfully commit the anxieties of our life to our ever-present Lord. That's the goal. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to to look at Philippians this morning, and I hope that it's been uh, helpful. I hope that we would practice prayer in our lives when anxious moments come up. Lord, I thank you for the privilege, the honor that you give us to bring our cares and our worries to you. Keep us faithful to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, we have a couple more things to, to do in the service. And actually, I'd like to kind of close my message by doing a little practice what I preach. Um, I've just been talking about anxiety and, and prayer. And I have to give kind of a, a confession, an announcement, a prayer request. Um, I've had a little bit of anxious thoughts going on in, in my life recently, running through my head, and I would love to ask you guys to be in prayer for me. Um, those anxious thoughts are, are just revolving around my future here at Edgewood Bible Church as a pastor, and uh, I practice this. I didn't get emotional, but now I am. <laughs> uh, over the last several months, uh, it's just been on my heart and on my mind that uh, it might be time to, to look at something else. Um, over the last several months, I've been seeking out wisdom from various friends. I've been talking to Pastor Jeff. I've been talking to the elders about my, my role here at Edgewood Bible. And long story short, I, I think it might be approaching time for me to, to make a transition. I've had, over the years, several titles. I've been a youth pastor. I've been student ministry pastor. I'm an associate pastor now. Uh, but one of the main focuses has always been a student and children's ministries. And I still love those ministries. I love the students. I love the children here. And I count it an, an honor to be able to teach them, to work with them. But I feel like it's just... Uh, coming time to, to pass that leadership to someone else. Uh, if I could use a metaphor, I like metaphors, uh, but I kind of feel like uh, a goose at the lead of the V formation. I've seen a lot of geese flying around, so it kind of struck a chord with me. If you're familiar with the way that they fly, the one person, is, or one goose, <laughs> is in the front of the formation and kind of leading the way, but after a while, they fold back into the formation and somebody else comes, comes forward to lead. And just as my own life circumstances have, have changed over the years, some of my interests and my desires, I, I just feel, are reorienting. And I feel like it's time to start looking for a next leader. Now, uh, nothing is really set in stone this is really just the, the start of a process. And I wanted to ask you guys, as my family here at Edgewood Bible Church, just to, to join me in prayer. This is a, kind of a, an anxious moment for me. And I need you guys. I need you guys to pray. So I really believe that being... A member of a church is, is more than just coming every Sunday. It's, it's being part of a family. And I think that, you know, too many pastors and too many people see the role of a pastor just as a, a career or a profession. And yeah, there are professional aspects to it. There are career aspects to it. But... Uh, but it's more than that. You, you guys are, are my family. And so we want to, as elders and as pastors, kind of walk through this in a family way. Deprofessionalize 
the, the transition from just, oh, here's my two weeks notice to, hey, will you guys really join in this process and, and be praying with us, working through this together? More than just being a church employee, I'm part of the family here. So I'm presenting to this, or I'm presenting this to all of you because um, this is how I think a family should work. We should walk through this together. Like I said, I'm not giving a two weeks notice here. In fact, I anticipate that probably the next few months will look pretty normal in the sense that I'm going to continue carrying out what I have been doing. I also want to make it clear that Carly and I really have no intentions of leaving Edgewood Bible Church. Uh, this is our home. You're our family. Many of you are literally our family. Um, <laughs> but all of you are brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and we look forward to continuing to serve alongside you guys. It might just look a little different. A couple of things that uh, I've just began to kind of explore are maybe the possibilities of, of teaching, uh, maybe working in some sort of trade. Those are kind of two interests that I've had. I, I love the aspect of teaching. I love, love and have always loved working hard with my hands. So maybe those are in the future. I don't know. There are a couple of possibilities. I don't have a crystal clear direction but that's why we're asking for prayer. <laughs> we don't know exactly what the future holds, but we know who can help. <laughs> we know who can bring us through this. So just to be hopefully crystal clear about what I'm kind of talking about here, a few things. First off, you know, Pastor Jeff isn't here this morning, and I just want to let you know, I'm not going rogue here. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't, oh, Pastor Jeff's away, so my opportunity to get out of here. No, we've, we've been talking. We've been discussing as, as elders and even been thinking about, well, when would be a good time to present this to the congregation? And, and we landed on today. We thought about the, the meeting we had a couple of weeks ago, but it just seemed like there was enough for that. So this is a, a church thing. This isn't Ryan going rogue. Second thing I just want to make clear is that we aren't sure about a timeline. Um, I'm not sure about a timeline. I, I really want any type of pastoral transition to be prayed about by the whole congregation, and I'd want it to be very intentional. Third thing, just to reiterate, Carly and I aren't planning on leaving the church. <laughs> I am looking at stepping down as the associate pastor and pursuing another career. And last thing that hopefully it has been clear and I just want to make sure it is clear is that Carly, Tyler, Emily and I plan to be here to be serving alongside you to be serving in ministries deepening relationships and continuing our walk through this life with you guys so we pray uh, three things in particular that uh, I would ask prayer for number one is Prayer for making decisions. Um, I'm not a good decision maker. <laughs> so I need prayer. I need wisdom. Two, uh, will you pray for the elders and pastors as we discuss this, as we communicate with you guys plans uh, for transition plans to fill holes? Um, there's a lot to look at. So we need, we need your prayer. We need your participation. And third, we pray for us to be united as a body here through this. One of the things that I appreciate, there's a book by Kevin DeYoung where he says, when you're faced with tough decisions, pray for things you know are good. So pray for things that you know would be good to come from this. Pray that we would all consider this transition together, that it would have the result of making us all spiritually mature, that we would draw closer together in our love for each other, that our faith as a body of believers in here, here would increase, that our trust in God would be strengthened, and that this all would work towards a better testimony to our community. Those are things that, that we know are good and that we can pray for. So, 
yeah, I take these, these moments and just ask for your involvement, for your prayers, for your support in this, and I would love to talk. <laughs> I imagine you may have questions. You might be like, Ryan, this is a dumb idea. I'd like to hear that. <laughs> if you're like, Ryan, all right, we'll pray for you. Maybe here's some wisdom to offer. I'd love to hear that too. Um, this is a process that, that we're beginning. And most of all, I just would covet your prayers. Um, yeah. Love you guys. I'm not an emotional guy. <laughs> um, but we wanted to end and... Uh, Actually, the, the elders thought it would be good to have one of the elder representatives come up and just uh, take some time to, to pray and to say a few things. So Jeff Rogers is uh, going to come say a few things. So I, um, I thought we would uh, go through a couple of items or points in our um, church covenant. It's always good to get that thing out and um, kind of read it through. Anyway, so here at EBC, as a body, we love one another. First uh, John 4.11 says, uh, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here at EBC, we also um, serve one another. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. We accept one another. Romans 15.7, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Uh, we are devoted to one another. Romans 12, 12, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. We bear with one another, Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We teach and we admonish one another. Be completely humble. Oh, let the message of Christ uh, Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And we offer hospitality to one another. 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is a covenant this is uh, something that we do for and, and with one another. Um, just like Pastor Ryan said, that's because we're family. That's why we do it. Um, he wants us mostly to, uh, to pray for him. Um, and that's exactly what I think we should do, definitely. Every day, um, lift them up. But there's other things that I, that I think we should also do, and uh, one of them is encourage him. Uh, the, the, the Greek for encourage is uh, parakaleo. It means to come alongside, um, to call to one side. Um, send, send them notes. Send them notes of encouragement. Um, tell, them, um, tell them that you are praying for him. Tell them what you're praying for about him or for him. And also Carly. Uh, another thing is counsel. Counsel him. I've, uh, I've, I've talked to several of you, and I know that several in this audience has been... Um, called out of ministry. You, uh, um, obviously, Ryan has been called to ministry to be a, a full-time um, 
minister here for how many years? 18. 18 years. And now it seems that God is calling them out of ministry. And many of you have also been called into ministry as well as being called out of ministry. Come alongside him and, and, and counsel him. Um, tell him. Tell him your story. Take him out for coffee. Talk to him. Another thing, um, rejoice with him. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for Ryan and, and Carly. I, I'm excited to see what God has for him. I, I can't wait. Um, and, and when that comes, I, I will come alongside him and rejoice. So um, I want to be the first one here to, to pray for him and Carly. Um, so will you join me in prayer? Lord God in heaven, we praise you for uh, working through Christians to spread the gospel and for calling people um, to do various jobs or duties uh, within the body to build up and encourage one another. We specifically pray for Ryan and Carly as they for many months now have been um, listening to you and uh, seem to be hearing you call them out of a full-time vocational ministry here at EBC. I pray you give them uh, wisdom as they seek what you want them to do. And for peace of mind and unity of heart with their desires, their talents, their gifts that you have been given them and that they would want to use for your glory. I pray for this congregation, this family here at EBC, that we would encourage them, pray for them, we would counsel wherever and whenever you lead us to do so. And I pray that you will, that we will rejoice with them in this time in their life and be excited for the work you are accomplishing in their life. Lord, we, uh, we love you and we thank you for the cross. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.